Hello, and welcome to Casually Obsessed, a podcast about obsession-worthy pop culture. I'm your host, Chelsea Bergen, and each episode, I'm joined by a guest to talk about a piece of content we can't stop thinking about. If you like the show, please subscribe and share it with your friends. For show notes, transcripts, and more info about the show, you can visit casuallyobsessedpodcast.com. You can also find the show on Instagram at casuallyobsessedpodcast. Today's episode is a special crossover with The Bipod, a podcast about all things bisexual. I co-host The Bipod with my friend Christina Brown, who joined me for this episode to talk about the movie Birds of Prey. If you like this conversation, you might also like The Bipod, which you can listen to wherever you're listening to this episode right now. Okay, now that we've got that out of the way, let's start the show. Chelsea. <laughs> We're talking about Birds of Prey and the fantabulous emancipation of one Harley Quinn. Such a good title. Yeah. Um, it definitely, they changed the title while it was in theaters because no one knew what Birds of Prey was. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know that. Yeah. So they, like, when the movie got to theaters, then they changed the title to Harley Quinn subtitle birds of prey which is not as fun but is more descriptive perhaps <laughs> um in that like this movie sets up the birds of prey but it's not actually about them per se in that like right. it's harley's story really you just mm -hmm. have all of these other characters who intersect and then come together mm -hmm. in the end um but i think the like subtitle is so fun mm -hmm. and not everyone was a fan <laughs> um but it does feel very like harley to me yeah i feel like it fits the tone very well too and i was thinking about kind of like the wow that's interesting i like didn't know that they changed the title um it just feels really important like the theme of emancipation throughout you know like it feels like each um character like each like main like woman protagonist is like being freed from something like that emancipation felt like a very intentional theme that they went into the movie with yeah um but i think it's in some ways it's kind of like a transitional movie because it's like go like harley coming out of one phase of her life and then the origin story of the birds of prey yeah and i think it does work cohesively as a movie but i also wish that we lived in a world where it could be two movies like where harley Quinn could just have her own movie and that could be that so I from what I read online I didn't do a ton of digging into this but um from what I saw Margot Robbie was the one to pitch doing a Harley Quinn movie mm -hmm. um and she specifically said that she wanted it to be a movie like she wanted other characters in it um to not leave Harley on her own because basically Harley can't be alone mm, and I thought that was kind of an interesting choice but I kind of get it like Harley as a character is so much reacting to the people around her mm -hmm. 
um, and to her environment. But it was kind of interesting to see, like, that to some degree, maybe that was Margot Robbie's vision. And she was an executive producer mm-hmm. on the movie. Um, it seems like she has really, like, um, I was going to say bought in, but that's not quite the word I want. But, like, that she feels very connected. To yeah, she's invested. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I think you would have to change Harley's character a lot because... Like, I guess to have her have a standalone movie, because I don't really know what her motivation is. Like, she basically just wants to stay alive, which makes sense, but it's not that interesting. Yeah. And I think, like, if the movie just continued from when, like, she and the Joker broke up and, you know, she's, like, trying to run from everybody, like, she would need to be running towards something. And I don't think that, like, just the diamond would have been enough because, like, she, that would just be like, okay, great, I've survived today. Now I have to do it again. Um, so I do think that, like, having... And it does make sense. Again, like, I think it's a cohesive movie. Um, I also think that it's more, like, sustainable feminism to show, like, women working together. Like, I think that that reflects a lot of the... um. It almost feels like a clap back to Wonder Woman 1, um, which was not the worst movie, but it was, like... Gal Gadot lives on an island of all women who are inexplicably heterosexual. I don't understand. <laughs> um, and then, like, the rest of the movie, she, like, doesn't speak to any women. Um, it's just, like, the one, you know, like, the, like, last final girl or whatever. Um, and I like seeing women, like, succeeding together and, like, having complicated relationships and, like, being a team. And, like, it's fun and also, like, makes it feel like more of a breakup movie. Because it's, like, she, like, leaves her man and goes to be with her friends. Um, but, yeah. I'm, like, still thinking about how they possibly could have not had that title. <laughs> I don't understand. Yeah. Well, I think, I think that, like, we will probably get into this, but I think that change in title and the, like, um, maybe people not understanding the original title mm-hmm. gets at, like, a lot of reasons that this movie was maybe not especially successful Mm -hmm. like um people wanting a kind of traditional comic book movie and what they're getting is uh something different something that Mm -hmm. is a fantabulous emancipation movie Mm -hmm. (laughs) um which i happen to love and feel very strongly about and think that it's better than pretty much every other comic book movie i've ever seen Mm -hmm. but um not everyone feels that way mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah it definitely feels like a movie that is a part of a saga but in like in a good way like it does I'm trying to think of an example I guess like the second book in the Twilight series like that's a book that I would never recommend anyone read just on its own like it's not a good book in my opinion sorry don't cancel me but when you read the whole series like you have to have that information do you know what I mean like it's yeah. like a good transitional story for me but it's funny that you say that because of the Twilight novels. That's your favorite. That was my favorite. <laughs> <laughs> but I think because it's like different and kind of weird. And yeah. She spends a lot of the book being depressed. Yeah. And I was like, this is interesting. <laughs> Tell me more. I remember reading it in like, I don't know, junior high and high school and being like, okay, why is she still sad? <laughs> I want action. Um, but I think, like, to me, the, this movie doesn't feel that way. Like, it feels like it can stand on its own, which is good because I have not seen most of the DC Universe <laughs> movies. At least not the, like, I didn't see Suicide Squad. And there are a couple moments, like, when she opens up the cabinet full of guns, 
I'm like, I think I'm supposed to know about that, but I don't. That, that may have been in Suicide Squad. It wasn't. Um, oh. <laughs> I think it was just a like uh, a reference to because so the the place where she takes them at the end of the movie mm-hmm. is like the Joker's lair. Mm-hmm. And so it was not a reference to Suicide Squad, um, but I think it was a reference to the sort of canonical like mm-hmm. Joker. Joker yeah. And the idea that like it's, you know, filled with weapons in all kinds of weird places. And so when she's like, there should be all these guns here. Um, I think she says something about like he t- like she has this reaction yeah. of like that fucker. Yeah. Like- <laughs> yeah. Just he took it. And I'm like, who? <laughs> so it was a reference to the okay. Joker. That makes more sense. Um, so you did not see Suicide Squad. Um, you you really weren't missing anything other than. Yeah, that's what it sounded like. <laughs> Other than Margot Robbie. <laughs> right. um, and I guess I also liked Will Smith in that movie, but they tried very hard to make both of them very uncharming. They were like, how could we make these very charismatic people dour? Impossible. <laughs> <laughs> um, so what is your relationship to the DC universe? Um, and I guess also the the Batman um, universe that sort of exists within DC. I don't have much of a relationship with it. I'm not a huge superhero movie person. I've seen a lot of them, but I also like I feel overwhelmed by the fandom because I feel like it's one of those fandoms where like if you don't know everything, you're like not welcome. Or it's if you don't know everything, it's confusing. Um, both of those. Um, I have seen, like, the Dark Knight trilogy. Actually, I think a couple of times. I've seen a lot of the movies twice. Um, I saw, like, the original Batman movies. Um, but I don't have much of a relationship with them, um, aside from, like, general cultural osmosis. Um, yeah, basically. So I the reason that I decided to watch this movie is because, A, Margot Robbie. Is it Robbie or Robbie? I think Robbie, but actually, if you were, if maybe I'll just call her Margot. We're on a first name <laughs> basis. Um, but definitely, I want to see everything that she's in, except for, I guess, Suicide Squad um, and the soundtrack. Um, when it came out, a bunch of artists that I really like, like K-Flame, were on there. And I was like, well, let me check this out. And I'm not like a movie soundtrack person, generally. Um, very rarely will I like see a movie and think like, oh, I want to like go listen to their soundtrack. Um, that happened with Queen and Slim. Um, that's also how I like part of my interest in the new movie, Promising Young Woman, is like the soundtrack is so good. Um, but yeah, I played the soundtrack like all summer, loved it, love everything about it, love the mood. It's so fun. It's so like there's so much diversity in like tone and style and like everything. Um, so just very into it, and um, that's why I wanted to watch the movie because it felt like fun. I also wanted to see hot girls beat people up, um, and it did not disappoint. <laughs> <laughs> I think I maybe found out about the soundtrack from you. Probably I told everyone about yeah. it. <laughs> um, I think I think I actually saw that you were listening to it on Spotify because I'm a Spotify oh, yeah. music stalker. I I'm forgot always like, that what that's are my friends listening to? <laughs> um, and I. I don't think I even I realized that they were making this movie or maybe I didn't know that it was coming out. Um, and 
I found out about the soundtrack and I listened to it and I was like, this is so good. If the movie is like half as good as the soundtrack is, I'm going to love it. And um, so I actually like went to see it in the theater, which is a thing that I do not do much of. It was the last movie that I saw in theaters before the pandemic lockdown. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. This would be a really fun movie to see in theaters. Yeah, I saw it in, I don't even know what it's called, but one of the like special theaters um, where it, they played, they projected things onto the sides of the movie theater. And so it was like none of the, nothing important was happening on the sides, but it was like um, the iconic uh, scene where Harley goes into the police station and is oh, she's shooting yeah. a gun with like glitter in it. The fun gun, my the, favorite yeah. weapon that's ever <laughs> existed. Um, and so at that point, she, you'll see her like on screen. She like fires the fun gun and there's like confetti and like pink and blue smoke and that would like go across the sides of the um the movie theater walls and I went to see it just because that happened to the time that I wanted to see the movie that's the version that was playing Mm -hmm. but it was actually really fun and this was like a perfect movie for that um because it has so much like it this is such a kinetic movie and Mm -hmm. so it was to have like things going on all around you was very immersive and fun. Yeah. And like the aesthetic of the movie is really important. Yeah. Like the coloring um, and like just like the vibrant shades and the costumes and like the lighting and everything. Um, it's like very much a visual experience too. Yeah. That sounds really fun. <laughs> um, since we have both mentioned the soundtrack and how great mm-hmm. it is. Um, I would love to hear any of your... Would you like to hear me sing one of the songs? <laughs> yes, please, please. Um, yeah, what are your... Please give me your uh, your My tastes. favorites? Yeah. Um, so the first one that I heard was um, K-Flay's song, Bad Memory, because I'm obsessed with K-Flay. Um, and K-Flay, like, outside of Birds of Prey, has been on this interesting musical journey. She started off very, like, emo rap punk. Um, which like we all need in our lives. Um, but her most recent album is much poppier and I still really love it. I like constantly listen to it. Um, but I feel like that's just kind of been her journey is coming from like really like roughly produced like punk rock, not punk rock, punk rap um, to like a song about comparing like her girlfriend to ice cream. Um, <laughs> and I love it all. But I think Bad Memory, um, her track on the soundtrack really like did a good job of I think she did a very good job of like pulling back to her roots of like some of that intensity in the music yeah. um but the songwriting is also very good and I've seen her songwriting really like um grow I think over her career um and it's just so fun it makes me want to like walk down the runner with which my friends <laughs> in stilettos <laughs> and like make sound um, I also love Experiment on Me Halsey's song Ugh. um I could just uh, listen to yeah halsey just like scream like that yeah <laughs> her just like yelling like i've i've n- not a screamo fan mm-hmm. not my not my jam but her just like yelling i could listen to that all day so good <laughs> yeah she's incredible and she also just has such a range like i'm thinking about her song beautiful stranger which is very like sweet and ballady and then she's also like screaming about (laughs) killing people i love it 
Um, yeah, and I think um, I was really excited to see like what scene they used it in, and when they did it, when she was like fighting all the people in the jail, I was like, hell yeah, this yes. is the right place for it. Um, but both of the songs, I think, I just like love the intensity. Um, I'm trying to think. I also uh, smile like it's stuck in my head a lot. It's my party, my body, my business. Ah, so good. Um, I'm like looking at the track list. I love all of them. Boss bitch, uh, constantly, constantly yes. on my playlist. Um, but yeah, all of them. And I think what's interesting is like the soundtrack does a really good job of like setting a scene and creating a mood. And there are even songs that are in the movie that are not on the soundtrack, but they're just like not new songs. I think. Yeah. Um. And when I rewatched it for this episode, I was like, oh, I wonder like how that how my expectations for the movie would have changed if all of the songs were in one place, you know. But I think it feels very like um, intentionally crafted to like set a tone for the movie. Yeah. Um, one of the songs, I think it's Sway. Mm-hmm. Has oh, Sway with me. Um, so good. Is it that one that has like a has. um rap parts that were like clearly written for the movie mm-hmm. is that in sw- yeah um, oh yeah so, uh yeah we're talking about gotham and stuff yes yeah, the most wanted wanted in gotham yeah yeah mm-hmm. um and it's a really great addition to the movie but also just like on its own mm-hmm. is really great mm-hmm. um and i i don't have anything especially articulate to say about it other than um i feel like Harley Quinn did deserve her own uh her own rap track and yeah. glad that that exists she in the did. world. Yeah, and that's so true of I think all of the songs like they they stand on their own as songs, you know. Um the only song that sounds like particularly cinematic to me is Hit Me With Your Best Shot, especially toward the end when they have like the build up. Yeah. Um I'm like, "Oh, this belongs like in a really good trailer." But I still think it stands alone, like as a song. Yeah, yeah. Um, that is for anybody who hasn't listened to the soundtrack. It's a cover of "Hit Me with Your Best Shot," so it's not yeah. the version that you have heard. Yeah, before. it's by Adana. Um, yeah, and it's very like slowed down and drawn out. Like it feels very like uh, slinking around in a dark room mm-hmm. kind of vibes. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's really good. Yeah, it's just, I mean, everything. Um, like, Jokes on You, I'm assuming, was probably also written for this yeah. movie because joke. Um, but, like, it, it just, they all stand on their own um, very well. And it was just so cool to see, like, so many different, like, women on a soundtrack together that was, like, really variant but also cohesive. Yeah. Which yeah. I think also reflects a lot of the themes in the story. The movie, um, I saw someone online who was talking about how each of the different characters in the movie is um, kind of existing within their own type of mm. movie. And so um, you get like Montoya's story is like a cop drama and and Black Canary is doing the, you know, lounge singer who like got caught up in you know that sort of like mm-hmm. noir kind of like they're all doing they all have sort of slightly different 
um, movies that they're existing within that have been kind of pulled together in this um, frenetic, like, not, it's not pastiche, but there's this sort of, um, or maybe it is, like, it just, there's this element of, I think because Harley Quinn as a character and, like, a personality is so all over the place mm-hmm. that you can kind of within the movie be like zigging and zagging from different tones and different storylines in a way that I think actually really works. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And like the first time that I watched the movie, I was like, I know that they have a lot of characters, so you can't have like a complicated backstory for every person. But um I still had questions. I was like, why is Black Canary singing like why does she work for this horrible man um and there's like that one scene where she tells montoya like oh that man gave me a job and took me off the streets but i'm like but really any boss could do that but then it's like it's gotham and we've talked about this off mic before i don't understand gotham as like a concept not that i don't understand it but i'm not i don't know enough about it i guess maybe um but i had questions like that and questions like um about Montoya I'm like you get a backstory for her but like why is she still working (laughs) you know (laughs) yeah Um, but when I watched it a second time I was like actually I think that each of the characters like has enough Um, I think that they do enough of a job like a good enough job of fleshing them out um, especially because it feels like it's setting up another Birds of Prey movie Um, I feel like you get enough context to be like okay like I'm invested in these characters Um, which I think is not true of a lot of other um similar movies whenever they try to do like a girl gang movie it's like one like there's like the one protagonist who has a complicated backstory and then one person has like kind of a backstory and the other two you're <laughs> like who are you um it's also a really rewatchable movie yeah. which i was very impressed by because i don't usually like to watch a movie a second time but i feel like i discovered new things on a second watch yeah i i think black canary has the least fleshed out story in the movie mm-hmm. i think they are relying a little bit on the idea that like people will have some level of familiarity with the idea of black canary as a character yeah. which like i actually don't know a ton about black canary's backstory other than i watched young justice in which black canary is a character and i also know black canary was a character on arrow and like that's like basically all I know about Black Canary Mm -hmm. um but I think with her they were maybe trying to coast on like people will recognize like that as a character Mm -hmm. um but it's interesting how um pretty I'm thinking particularly about like the character of Huntress Mm -hmm. that like we don't get a ton of information about her but they do manage to like very quickly establish her character i think the combination of the little bit of backstory we get about her and then uh mary elizabeth winstead's performance Mm -hmm. just you sort of immediately have all the information that you need to know about like she's (laughs) a very good assassin and very socially awkward and it just like Mm -hmm. fills in a lot of gaps in a way that like um Journey Smollett is like amazing in this movie, I think, and she, I'm I have like such a crush on her. She's just like so talented and like so beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think you don't get the same level of like uh information about her. Yeah, and that feels like not a performance issue. It feels like more of a writing yeah gap. But I also think that like they're all set up to have 
Except for maybe Huntress. I feel like I wouldn't be that interested in like more backstory on Huntress. I feel like I've gotten it. Yeah. But like you could do a whole Black Canary movie like Batman style of like her coming to be. Um, And I think that they've set it up enough to where like, you know, that she like lost her mother traumatically. She's like, they found my mom on the streets. And I'm like, what? <laughs> where did that come from? Um, But it's like enough to where you kind of know. I also like that she is one of the few characters who has. I guess not one of the few, but Huntress doesn't really change that much because she is like, I want to get revenge. I got revenge. Okay, what now? I guess I'll just keep getting revenge. <laughs> um, but I think, and I guess Montoya too, I guess they all kind of do um, change in ways that are different from like most other movies where like one protagonist gets to change and no one else does. Um, but I think Black Canary, you really see her go from like, well, I need to protect myself because no one else is going to. To being like, oh, like, I need to draw some ethical boundaries. Um, and I think that that change happens in the scene where Roman, um, like, makes that lady get up on the table, which was my least favorite scene in the movie because it made me really uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, but I also think, like, that's when she was like, oh, this man is sick. Like, I cannot, I can't be even a little bit complicit here, you know? Yeah. And I think that was, like, very interesting. Um, and very telling about like her like character and morality yeah I think it may be because you're right that is I think the moment when the change like really happens and I think it's maybe one of those like in Gotham in a city where apparently it is like incredibly crime-ridden but as you say no one leaves the city <laughs> yeah I'm like um, you can move <laughs> yeah like it, it's incredibly crime-ridden and like slimy and you can't leave like, I could see how it would be easy to say, like, well, this I know that this guy might be doing terrible things like. Behind the curtain, but mm-hmm. he like gave me a job and like, like, if you don't have to interact with those terrible things, it's probably easy to compartmentalize and say, like, well, everyone in this city is doing something terrible. And like this guy hasn't hurt me mm-hmm. to then seeing the like level of misogyny and like the that deep desire to like hurt people in ways big and small mm-hmm. that then it's like oh I can't actually look away yeah. from this yeah something that I think is really interesting and cool about this movie is that it's like very non-sexualized like I mean I personally was having a sexual experience watching <laughs> <laughs> the birds of prey but um like there's really no romance to speak of at least not like explicitly stated um, there's n- not really a lot of like explicitly stated sexual motivation, but it's also like aware of dynamics. Yeah. And I think sometimes when a movie tries to like forego sexuality, they lose some of that like awareness. Um, but I think that this movie did a really good job of balancing that. And I think like even that scene with Roman, like it's not, it doesn't look like he like wants to sexually interact with that woman at all um but it's like you just see it really peels back all the layers of like this is just like an evil thing that he wants to do like he just wants to humiliate people and there's no like it's a power dynamic thing completely Mm -hmm. yeah which is interesting like there are a lot of moments like that throughout the movie um like when harley almost gets kidnapped um there's nothing to explicitly tell us like oh like she's gonna be like sexually assaulted um, but I think there's they do a really good job of building tension 
um, in moments where you kind of have to rely on your cultural knowledge. Um, like in that scene and in the scene where um, she gets hit with the tranquilizer, tranquilizer um, dart and she's sitting there and there's no explicit like, oh, like she's going to be um, assaulted or she's going to be um, like her violated or anything. But, you know, Zaz is like, oh, are you my good girl and stuff like that? Like it's very aware of like sexual power dynamics and of like gender power dynamics, but in like a very not understated but just kind of like it's very matter of fact yeah which I think is very cool and that must have been very hard to achieve in the writing yeah I think I I feel like this is a very feminist film which I do not usually say about things because I think you get in you can get into trouble like trying to classify media as like feminist or not feminist right but the reason I feel that about this film in particular is because I feel like the real villain of this movie is misogyny Mm -hmm. and that like this movie is dealing in a lot of ways with like what are the everyday experiences of women and what are the threats to their like bodily autonomy and to their existence Mm -hmm. and I feel like that's actually what this movie is about and it's just sort of in the trappings of a comic book story which is why for me I feel I'm like willing to say I feel that it's a feminist movie because the story feels inherently like about the issues of feminism Mm -hmm. um and i think that there's a lot of things that i loved about this movie but i think ultimately that's one of the ones that made it really not just enjoyable for me to watch but something that i actually feel really strongly about and felt like it was doing something really interesting and it feels very much like a movie that is only only exists in the way could only exist in the way that it does because it was written by a woman directed by a woman like stars women Mm -hmm. it's coming from a particular experience and worldview and I don't know I feel like there are some people who the reason they didn't like this movie is because they missed all of that Mm -hmm. and I think the reason they missed all of that is because that's not their lived experience yeah um Yeah, and I think you have to have, there are some moments of, like, tension um, or, like, where the stakes are actually very high that you're really only going to get if you have that tacit understanding. Like, if you have that lived experience or even just that, like, sort of cultural knowledge. Yeah, like a recognition Yeah. of... Um, of danger, maybe, or of experience. Yeah. Um, I think one of the moments in this movie where I was like oh this this movie's doing something interesting and where I started to feel like oh not only am I enjoying watching this I'm actually like this is doing something for me intellectually is relatively early on in the movie um Roman has uh his goons go and pick up Harley because he's gonna kill her Mm mm-hmm 
and she's like strapped to this chair and he's being a like one note villain and she's like making fun of him mm-hmm. um and then um he punches her in the face mm-hmm. and you can see her sort of like getting her head's like wobbling a little bit and then he punches her again and she goes into this like fantasy where she's performing diamonds are a girl's best friend mm-hmm. um and she's wearing like the same colors as marilyn monroe and like the original number um and there's some similar choreography but then mixed in with it is like a machine gun yeah <laughs> yeah um and i think she gets punched in the face again and I was as I was watching that scene I was like oh this is like there's a trauma thing that's happening here like yeah you sort of particularly because early in the movie Harley tells us about her background and she talks about how her dad kept trying to get rid of her Mm -hmm. um and to me like seeing that scene I was like oh, this is not the first time a man has beat the shit out of her. Like, she has a, like, place in her head where she goes when bad things are happening to her. Mm -hmm. And to me, that really spoke to kind of Harley's worldview. Because one of the things that's really fun about Harley Quinn as a character is that she is so, like, over the top and everything is so fantastical. And... So to see the way that that for her has maybe been like a coping mechanism, real that's when I really felt like, oh, there's more going on to this movie than your average like run of the mill comic book movie. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like um, I kept waiting for the moment for them to like take the whole lady psychologist thing too far. Because I feel like that happens in a lot of movies where it, it's like a trope of like, a woman who just like diagnoses everybody with everything but I feel like they did it enough to where like we knew that Harley like knows her shit you know like she was able to really quickly like um maybe not even diagnose but like identify like oh you're doing this because of this but it wasn't in like an annoying way it was just in a way to show like oh she like has a PhD (laughs) she knows what she's doing (laughs) um but you also see her dealing with like you said like her own traumas her own experiences and I think like they do a really good job in the beginning of setting it up with that cartoon. A, the cartoon like definitely establishes like a fun cartoony tone, um, but it also gives you enough backstory about Harley as a character um, to know that like she's dealing with a lot, right? She's coming into the movie with like um, a lot of fresh trauma, a lot of like long term trauma, um, and now she's in a totally new like place in her life where she's like I was dealing with all of this by like being protected by the Joker and now I'm just not and now I have to figure out like how do I cope without that yeah and there's probably some regression that happens right I think that happens with like most breakups um when you are like I had to go back to whatever life I had before this somehow um and when the life you had before that was also traumatic I think like there's there's an unraveling that happens I think that that scene shows that really well um without being like oh she's so crazy in her breakup you know like at no point do I feel like oh Harley's just like crazy like I feel like they're very intentional about like not just throwing that label on her and like moving past it yeah yeah I also like that the Joker wasn't in the movie at all (laughs) yes um not even because I like especially hate the Joker but just because I feel like 
that when I first started it, I was like, oh, no, is this going to be like the Joker realizes that he wants her back? Like, I thought he was going to come in and save her and be like, oh, wait, we're broken up, but I want to protect you or something. Like, I thought he was going to come back in the story. But he, like, ev- there, I think there's an actor who technically is supposed to play him be- when she gets thrown out. Is that supposed to be him? Um, I don't know that he's that's supposed to be him. It's maybe um, re- maybe she's remembering something. I don't know. Yeah. Um. I think it might have been one of his because it. Oh, one of I his think guys. You, yeah. yeah. Um, oh, that makes sense. The only thing there's a um, part of Harley's story is that she jumps into a vat of acid mm-hmm. um, and they showed that in Suicide Squad. And so they show that clip that was in Suicide Squad in mm-hmm. Birds of Prey. Mm-hmm. But that's the only time we see the joker yeah in a flashback yeah um and i think that that just like gives it puts a lot of pressure on harley as a character um because now she has to like truly go through this breakup alone um or at least like away from the other person who like might also be going through it um but she she has a lot of narrative control um and i think that i I love the way that they use that where she she's not exactly an unreliable narrator but she's a very human narrator where she's like oh wait I forgot I should have told you this first (laughs) which is so great even watching it the second time like she goes into the police station with the fun gun and I was like wait I thought this happened later and then she's like wait 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 I gotta go back I'm like okay that's right that's what happened but I think that there's a lot of thought that went into like her like the psychology behind her character um that comes through really beautifully yeah um one of the reasons that I wanted to talk about this movie with you is because Harley is canonically bisexual and um as am I. I am also <laughs> canonically bisexual. <laughs> um canon bias. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um and you had mentioned how much you liked the animation that they deployed in this movie, which I agree is super well done. It's really fun and also like gives us more information. Mm-hmm. Um, but one of the things that it also does is in the first like couple of minutes of the movie mm-hmm. establishes Harley as bi. Um, and I would love to hear you talk about what that did for you like seeing that in the movie and like how you have kind of felt about that yeah when I first watched it I was like like I think it went over my head the first time because in the cartoon there's the slot machine and she's saying something like oh I fell in love a bunch of times or I had a bunch of relationships and it shows like a man and then another man and then a woman and I was like are they gay baiting me like what's going on here um and then like the movie went on I was like oh like I kept seeing like little things and I was like maybe they're like continuing that like the like canonical bisexuality um I I'm glad that this movie foregoes romance however I would not have been mad if she and Huntress ended up together (laughs) um or she and Black Canary oh which one do I want I I have also asked myself that same question yeah Honestly, a thruple, and I think Montoya, I don't know why, well, Montoya's, she's their owl. Yeah, that's true. I'm like, I, she doesn't feel, yeah, 
yeah, no, she can get back with Ali Wong <laughs> <laughs> now that she's I'm no here longer for that. Yeah, now that she's no longer a cop, um, great choice. Um, she does probably she, need to get sober first, though. Yeah, we should talk about that because <laughs> <laughs> I was like, uh, I don't like that. Um, but I just think it's cool when people in, or characters on TV and in movies are like just queer, especially when it's something like bisexuality or pansexuality that's like not as um easily communicated like I think it's very cool when it's just sort of like established as true and then not addressed again because it normalizes like those identities but I also was like I still feel a little bit baited because I'm like I want to see her kiss a girl (laughs) (laughs) Um, and that maybe is just me like I can deal with that but I think um if the movie had been more focused on just Harley and just her breakup there may have been more of that more of her like looking for connections with people yeah um but i mean it's like i don't know that i've ever seen a bisexual superhero before she's not a superhero but for this for my purposes (laughs) she's a superhero um it's just not something that you see in this uh, that at least that i see in this genre um very often so i feel like it was really cool but i also was like wait did that happen (laughs) you know (laughs) yeah Um, which i think is good in some ways but i also because it's such an over-the-top movie, I was like, I would have loved an over-the-top like ex-girlfriend who came for her. And I think I actually imagined one. I was like, did this happen in the movie? I can't remember if one of the exes was a girl, but I don't think they had that. I think they were all men. Yeah, I don't remember one of the people that comes after her being an ex-girlfriend, but also... It's possible that it was. There are so many people. Yeah. (laughs) And it comes, uh, the the words go by really fast. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Which I really loved the way that they deployed that. And Mm -hmm. this is a moderate aside. I have a lot of things about this I want to say. But when Roman is trying to kill or have his guys bring Harley in and he's going to kill her and she lists off all the reasons he might want to kill her, it's a Mm -hmm. huge long list she's like Mm -hmm. because i'm a woman because this because (laughs) like because i make fun of him um and one of the things that she says is because i voted for bernie sanders which means that gotham is in the united states but i'm like where it is (laughs) so actually i recently learned this it's west of new york but it is like right next to new york yeah it feels new yorky to me i always thought that gotham was a replacement for new york because it's definitely like we're it's supposed to be read as new york but i always thought that that meant that it totally supplanted new york and new york didn't exist but i learned while watching young re-watching young justice recently that no actually it is right next to new york um it is just to the west of it they both exist interesting and i guess if you're like new york isn't a hard enough place to live then you go to gotham <laughs> yeah that's the thing that i don't get about gotham is it's like I feel like when you say, like, oh, it's, like, a crime-ridden city, that can mean so many, like, complicated things. Yeah. But when I say that specifically about Gotham, I'm, like, you could just, like, I'm not a suburb person, but if I lived in Gotham, I would move to the suburbs. (laughs) Uh, Because it seems like everyone's lives are just so, like, interrupted by organized crime. Um, So many different types of, so many different, like... It just, syndicates and supervillains yeah it's a lot. it feels too involved yeah like if if the joker was in my city i would just relocate just leave. <laughs> you know like that's uh, why doc is one of my like kind of favorite characters like i don't like that he sold 
Harley out, but he's also like, yeah, I have enough money. I'm going to go open a new restaurant. And he's getting in his car. So I'm like, he's going to leave. <laughs> he's like, Gotham, I'm over it. I over learned it. all of you. I know everyone here oh. and I'm done. <laughs> um, yes. No. Yeah. Gotham is kind of a weird. Um, it has to exist for the world to exist, but I like that it's not that much of a character in this movie. Yeah. Um, like most of this movie takes place at daylight, which like is not common with, I feel like, right. like every other Batman movie is like, it's always dark. Mm-hmm. The dark night. <laughs> Literally. Um, but one of my, one of my gripes or one of my feelings of, I feel like you didn't get this movie is I was reading a review that I think was in the New York times, um, of this movie that was not especially favorable. Um, but one of the things that the reviewer said was like, uh, that he couldn't stop thinking about the fact that Harley said one of the reasons that um, Roman didn't like her is because she voted for Bernie Sanders. And the writer was sort of like, Bernie Sanders has just become so ubiquitous that it's like a joke, but would it have still been funny had she said, like, she voted for Trump or she voted for Hillary? And he was like, no, it had to be Bernie, but why is that? Like, he was basically saying and sort of tried to use that to make the point that the movie gestured at having things to say but didn't actually have anything to say because he was like why Mm. this bernie sanders thing and i was like the reason roman wants to kill her for voting for bernie sanders is because he's a rich white guy who wants to keep (laughs) all of his privilege and hoard his money like yeah um it just felt like this like it is not an important part of the story that she says like i voted for bernie sanders but it really stood out to me that this reviewer was like, why would they say that? It doesn't make any sense. And I was like, yeah, not to you. <laughs> <laughs> She's making a joke about like money and privilege and that this like guy who has all this money and wants all this power, like would not like that she voted for someone who, you know, wanted to change that. Yeah. Yeah. That goes back to like the movie being so steeped in like really intense power dynamics too. I yeah. Think. Like in a small way. But it definitely is played as a punchline. But I think, like, it's there are layers, which yeah. is true of a lot of the, the movie. And it, it goes by really quickly. It is really not. You could easily watch that scene and completely miss mm-hmm. that she says that. Yeah, but that one white guy at the New York Times did not. <laughs> <laughs> he couldn't <laughs> get over his it. feelings. Um, I feel that this is an incredibly gay movie. Like, just so queer. Yes. Um. But beyond the Harley as a bisexual things that we've already discussed, there is nothing about it that is explicitly queer other than there's a line that explains that Montoya's character, um, played by Rosie Perez, dated the DA whose name was said like one time, but played by Ali Wong. That kind of goes by in a flash, though. You could honestly watch that and not realize um, cause I think Harley just said in narration that they used to date, but yeah. Oh, and that she says like, oh, and that's her ex. Yeah. Yeah. Um, other than like that line, there's nothing else in the movie that is explicitly stated as queer. And so I'd be interested in hearing your thoughts on, or talking about like what it is that makes this feel like a queer movie even if it's not explicitly queer and um maybe also where that is and isn't successful yeah i mean i feel like the my first answer is the absence of heterosexuality (laughs) 
<laughs> like besides the Joker and Harley's breakup, which like Harley's established was queer, so that's like forgivable. Um, <laughs> forgivable. <laughs> um, like there's no because there's no like explicitly stated like heterosexual even relationships. I don't think. Um, I'm like, oh great, like we don't have to worry about that. Like we can just everyone like has different motivations. Um, I also think I liked the Montoya and I forget the character's name, but Ali Wong. Um, I like how the characters were played like against each other because like they felt like queer exes and that they weren't like trying to destroy each other. And this is like a broad generalization, but I feel like there's a lot of jokes in the queer community about how people like queer exes know, like you kind of just stay friends or, or like you're in the same community um not that you're necessarily on the same on, like on good terms but um it's just a different kind of experience a lot of the time and i think that the movie felt very aware of that because they weren't like oh and you know montoya is trying to ruin her job or something <laughs> um even like when they're walking and like ali wong is mad at her she like doesn't hate her you know and yeah. the only reason that she like turns her in at the end is because she's like you're an alcoholic and also i like need to keep my job which, like, are not ex-hate things. They're, like, something that anybody who cares about you would do. Um, that felt really queer to me. Um, and I think also just, like, the... I don't know. Just something about, like, the aesthetic of the movie. Um, like, Harley's fashion is very, like, out of the box. Um, and that's not necessarily, like, tied to a sexuality. Um, but it felt very, like, free of, like, expectations. And yeah. free of, like... um you know norms and and things like that and i feel like that um also kind of contributes to like the the gay sensibilities of the movie yeah i feel like this is a movie that is like incredibly joyful yeah which like is kind of funny because it's also super violent it has an r rating Mm -hmm. but even when (laughs) yeah it is really violent like the I love the cartoony violence of it all, like when she yeah. like, breaks people's legs backwards and stuff. But then when uh, Roman is like peeling people's faces off, it was so jarring because yeah. I was like, I didn't come here for this. I think they managed to, they do something in like when Harley or any of the other women are like in a fight, they, the way that it's like shot is just very, it's very different than Mm -hmm. when Roman is being violent. Mm -hmm. Um, And yeah, but there's just something that is so fun Mm -hmm. about this movie. Like it has real stakes and we've already talked about like the tension that exists in it, but even it manages to have those things and still not be like dour in a way that, like, so many of the, like, comic book movies are just such a slog because they're yeah. like, God forbid someone smile. Yeah. Um, and while that is not, like, inherently queer, there is something about, like, there's a bunch of glitter and, like, there's mm-hmm. something about that that to me feels very, feels queer in this kind of, like, finding joy in, like, all kinds of circumstances. Also, I just assume that, like, everyone in this movie is queer in some capacity. Like, Agreed. I'm, the fact that we were like, do we want Harley to get together with Huntress or Black Canary? Yeah. Like, that we get to dream that we have options yeah. is wild. I also think there's something really, like, 
inherently queer about Harley's situation of like everyone wants to kill me, but I'm gonna continue to wear these sequins. Yeah, you know what I mean. Um, <laughs> like when she when Montoya is like chasing her and she like sees that fanny pack and like stops. <laughs> I'm like, you're still celebrating your identity even though the rest of the world hates you. Yes. and like that is not the same. She's not like her situation is not the same thing as like queerness. But I think there's something like again just like tacitly queer about yeah. it of like I felt a connection to her even though I like don't live in Gotham and like ha- didn't force someone to get a face tattoo you know <laughs> <laughs> um there are like so many more things I know that I want to talk about I feel like we could just like talk about this forever um we didn't even get to get into the glory of the breakfast sandwich uh well that's we're not going to get out of here without talking about the breakfast sandwich. Um, my One of my favorite characters is Harley Quinn's breakfast sandwich. That is like, that's the romantic relationship yes. in this movie. She lost, she loses her love and then she gets it back. Yes. Um, the marketing was incredible. I immediately had to go buy a <laughs> breakfast sandwich after watching it the first time. Um, yeah, that was fun. I also love that like women eat in this movie. Yes. And they eat like burritos and thai food and breakfast sandwiches you never see that in a film yeah also in addition to being truly hilarious the breakfast sandwich sequence it also i feel like says a lot about harley that like she has a breakfast sandwich place she knows the guy that works there and Mm -hmm. like she knows that his name is sal and he clearly has a relationship to her because she's like talking to him about how he makes the sandwich and at the end she's a dollar short and she's like you know i'm good for it sal and like you can't just walk into like any bodega and be like i'm a dollar short is that okay with you yeah starbucks would be like get out (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah i love like the kind of like the underground community almost that she has yeah another queer aspect uh so the villain in birds of prey other than just, you know, the spirit of misogyny. Um, <laughs> misogyny personified is uh, Black Mask, uh, whose name, whose real name, I guess, because I feel like Black Mask is his, like, uh, super villain name. Super villain name. His stage yeah. name. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Roman Sionis. Um, he's a nightclub owner and runs some kind of, drug syndicate or crime syndicate more generally but i think there's drugs involved maybe yeah it's unclear but it is aesthetically drug lordish yeah yeah um i actually watched a thing earlier an animated um batman movie or short um and black mask was in it but in that version that was just like his face was like the black skull it like was not a mask oh interesting yeah yeah did you get in that show did you get to see such as like his body like he doesn't have like a street persona yeah no okay he because i was like that sounds like blackface but i guess (laughs) if there's not like a if that is like his body and there's not a character behind that i guess that's different yeah it was actually kind of weird because he appeared to be like a regular white guy to like up to his neck and then his entire like head was like a black skull sort of thing like very much in the uh like the mask that's in the movie mm-hmm. but like that was just like his head. head yeah mm-hmm. interesting almost like uh what is the name red skull red the 
villain from the Marvel movies. Oh, the yeah, Nazi yeah, yeah. one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like that, <laughs> except black and j- instead of just red. his face. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, that was a weird tangent. I'm probably going <laughs> <laughs> to cut all of that out. That feels relevant, though. <laughs> well, because I was wondering, like, especially on the second watch of the movie, as I was like, I was thinking about the villain a little bit more um, after we were like talking about it. Um, and I was, and I was thinking about, I was trying to like look at kind of his coding and I realized like, I don't know, all of the like pan African stuff that he had. Um, a lot of it I think was like played to make him look really sinister intentionally of like, look at these like, dried heads that I have from this like tribe and this place that I've never been to but now I have them in my house like it felt like the movie was maybe trying to like make a statement about like insidious like whiteness um but then it kind of never went anywhere I guess maybe I don't know I think that I was like looking for something for like Black Canary to maybe like reflect on that but I also don't know if I was just reading too much into it or like if that's even a part of the batman canon at all i don't know about how it fits into the canon um but i to me i read that as him like that he's a collector and then it's like a power Mm -hmm. thing of like i have the to what you said like i have these trunken warrior heads from a place i've never been to like um a kind of way of showing off like his wealth or like general power of like I can have anything that I want um because he also all the things that he like has in his apartment situation um he I don't know he there's this way that he's like oh isn't it interesting but like gross like Mm -hmm. he does a weird uh Ewan McGregor is, like, really chewing the scenery in this role, yeah. which, like, I was kind of here for, but we'll, like, sort of get into the specifics yeah. of that. But <laughs> he does this sort of, like, he's, you know, telling Black Canary about the um, the shrunken heads that he has, and he does this sort of, like, isn't, like, ew, like, mm-hmm. this kind yeah. of voice of, like, it's so interesting, but also it's disgusting. Mm-hmm. Um and I don't know what my point was about that. Like that he he sort of has these all of these things that he's collected that like really don't mean anything to him, but they probably mm-hmm. meant something to like the people that he acquired them from. Right. Um, Which also feels very white. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't know. And I guess it's just it's hard to like. It's hard to place that because we don't have a lot more context, but I do think that like that's a really good observation about it being like about collecting and power because I think that ties back to like the dynamics we were talking about earlier of all of the like sex is not really present as like tension in the show it's like all in the show (laughs) in the film um it's all about power and like it's all these other like dynamics even to some extent like gender and like sexism and misogyny like it becomes so much about power um and it's all kind of like stripped the dynamics are just stripped down um to that in a really like revealing way um and i'd be curious to know if that was something that the filmmakers like intended or if that was just like a 
a way to just show off his like wealth. I don't know. Yeah. But I love Ewan McGregor. He <laughs> it took me a really long time to like realize that that was him. I just he's such like a I don't know, like a really good I don't know what the word is. Like a I want to say like a plastic actor but not in like a fake plastic and like a changeable. Yeah actor i was like this man did moulin rouge and now <laughs> oh god yeah like that's for me that's who he is <laughs> yeah like diamonds are a girl's best friend in both movies wow yeah but um did yeah not even really, like think about that that's like. all i could think about <laughs> uh, yeah imagine being in two movies where they do diamonds are a girl's best friend like in drastically different situations amazing iconic yeah he I think is a good choice for this role because like, I think sometimes there are actors that to me, I think um, the, you can tell that the like director is kind of trying to play on like the goodwill that that actor has sort of built in people's minds Mm -hmm. in a way and kind of subtly using the, the image that we have of that actor from other roles mm-hmm. to kind of inform the performance. And so I feel like Ewan McGregor in this role, he's like terrible and like gross, but like you don't. Im- he's so charismatic. Though. Yeah. Like you still like, I don't question why people still go to his nightclub. Yeah. Even though he's like, I don't think there's anyone in that room who doesn't know who he is and who doesn't think that he's evil. But I can tell that he, like, throws a great party. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we pretty much never see Roman without his um, lackey uh, friend, friend, lover, <laughs> assistant, bodyguard. Uh, Unclear. Yeah. Zaz. Mm-hmm. Um, played by Chris Messina, who honestly, like very playing against type here and i was also really here for his performance he was like Mm -hmm. absolutely terrifying oh yeah like um also really rocking the bleach blonde in the again in a terrifying way Mm -hmm. um yeah i felt like an evil backstreet boy but (laughs) but in like a really good way like when he was like pull the car over i was like he's gonna kill her right now you know and then when he just called roman i was like okay never mind but still very terrifying yeah and um him and roman have a very interesting relationship um which we wanted to talk about Mm -hmm. um because there's definitely something happening there um maybe they have a sexual relationship maybe they don't there's really not um it's not inconclusive yeah yeah. But there's definitely something. Zaz seems very threatened. Anytime Roman pays any kind of attention mm-hmm. to any woman. Mm-hmm. Um, and he seems like very much like he just wants to kill everyone. Um, which I think goes beyond. Like there's a sort of possessiveness that goes beyond just the general uh run of the mill misogyny but mm-hmm. like it's targeted at like well someone else might like take roman's attention away yeah um like you can see a sort of like 
turn when Roman expresses um, interest in Black Canary as a, like, uh, they bring her in as a driver, mm-hmm. as his driver. And um, Zaz does not like that she seem, she's sort of... Um, but yeah, yeah, when she's brought in as the driver, like, he doesn't like it. No. Um, yeah, which I'm like, is that really a promotion? But I guess it's closer to him. Yeah. It's closer to Roman, which Zaz is not happy about. And Zaz definitely seems to always be kind of like working Roman in this way that's like um, he's very enabling mm-hmm. and seems to very much be like encouraging all of Roman's worst impulses. Mm-hmm. Like in that scene where in the nightclub where Roman terrorizes that woman, doesn't Zaz sort of, I don't 100% remember, but isn't Zaz sort of like, yeah, she is laughing at you? I think so. He at least doesn't say like, oh, no, she's not. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think of a like example that I very clearly remember. Well, even when he calls roman about black canary when like he sees that she's texted someone where they're going um where they're going to meet harley he says oh like your little bird has betrayed you do you want me to kill her and that feels different from being like hey she like we're like she's jeopardizing us i should kill her right um it feels very like oh your little bird that you like care about yeah like you were wrong about her i'm gonna swoop in and save you yeah very toxic but I guess not, but just that he's very toxic, <laughs> not redeeming. Um, it's interesting because I feel like we were talking about how everybody in this movie can just like be presumed to be queer because like there's no indication otherwise. Um, the only sexualities that we have confirmed like are not heterosexual. Um, so in that way, when I think about how like villains are almost always queer coded, um, like I almost didn't notice it on the first watch because like, to me, everybody was kind of queer coded. Um, but I do think there's something very specific about how like I don't even know what adjective to use, like flamboyant doesn't feel like the right word, but very like showy and like um I don't know, like there's a lot of kind of he goes Roman specifically like goes back and forth with like masculine sort of like mannerisms and then feminine mannerisms and like everything in between um in a way that i don't think most of the other characters really do most of the other characters a little bit more consistent um but there is something that feels queer about him in a way that doesn't stand out very much i think that if we put him in a straight movie i'd be like this is disney's work (laughs) right (laughs) um but in in birds of prey I, i didn't really feel like it was like insidious queer coding at least him on his own um, but then he and Zaz together, I was like, this does feel like a power dynamic, but it's not very clear. It's not as clear as most of the other power dynamics in the film are um, because they're both men. And even though like Roman is obviously the boss, like Zaz clearly has a lot of agency. Zaz is not afraid of his afraid for himself, even when he loses the diamond. He isn't afraid for his life in the way that like Black Canary would be, you know, yeah, um, or any other character. Um, and they're, they're very like touchy and kind of like intimate. Um, 
usually when they're talking about like getting money um, or like gaining power or something like that. Um, but I'm also like, why can't you just be in a relationship or why can't, or like, why do I want you to be in a relationship or do I want you to be in a relationship? I don't know. Um, but yeah, I, I like that there are no relationships like that, like that there are no romantic relationships really in the film, but I also feel like it's weird that there's one kind of coded that doesn't feel very necessary. But I could also be like, I feel like I'm reading a lot into his character that maybe isn't there. I don't know. I mean, I don't think you are. There's definitely something going on there. And I think people for sure like picked up on it because there was a little, I think a little bit of a like controversy around it. Um, and like people specifically asked Ewan McGregor and Chris Messina about it. I think at the premiere for the movie and, um, so there was definitely like discussion around it. So I a lot of times it bothers me in movies when you see like villains being queer coded. Mm-hmm. Um and in this movie it didn't. Um and I think part of it is what you talked about, where it's like, I just assume that everybody in this movie is gay. So, like, makes sense that yeah. the villains would be equal rights. Gays can be <laughs> villains, too. Good um. and bad. <laughs> yeah, and it, like, it didn't feel jarring at all. I feel like sometimes in, like, I keep just calling them straight movies. There must be a better. <laughs> and in a different movie, like, um, if we saw that kind of, re- like, I'm trying to think of a good example. Um, like, I don't know, if Jafar um, in Aladdin had a relationship like that with someone, it would be very jarring. Um, because he'd be like, Isn't "What it the parrot doesn't even the parrot?" <laughs> Wait, maybe that's why I'm thinking of it. Maybe, maybe they're the same character. Um, yeah, but I think like um, in some ways, Roman and Zaz, their relationship feels very like cartoon villain and cartoon villain sidekick. You know, like even like Ursula is so like touchy with like. Her, like the eels, Flotsam and Jetsam, and they're like obviously not really in a romantic relationship. Um, <laughs> at least is that obvious? Canonically, yeah. according to the musical, <laughs> definitely not. Um, <laughs> but like, there's something very there's like a villainous aesthetic that's very like touchy and like I don't know. I wish I had more adjectives in my head right now. Um, so there's something going on there, but there's also something like queer about it when it's like two human adults. That doesn't come across in a cartoon. <laughs> um, I think there is like we've already talked about how this movie is so much about power, and I think like they definitely have a a relationship that is sort of built around power, like the power dynamics between mm-hmm. the two of them and the two of them trying to sort of like gain power in what am I saying? I think maybe the reason that it didn't bother me and I feel like this is problem. I haven't quite. Mm. So many of my thoughts about this movie are like <laughs> half big. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I have a thought, which I feel like is going to come out problematic and like maybe is problematic and I'm going to trust that like you will help me think it out a little bit thank you so much yeah and um that you know 
anyone listening to this is willing to buy into the fact that I'm not trying to be an asshole. I think part of the reason (laughs) that it didn't, this queer coding between Roman and Zaz, part of the reason I think it didn't bother me is because I was like, both of these men clearly hate women. Of course, they would only be interested Mm. in like a sexual relationship with men because like they find women repulsive. Hmm, interesting. Yeah. And I'm like, I I don't want to, like... You don't want to equate queerness with misogyny. Yeah. 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 I do not want to do that. That's where right. I was sort of getting at yeah. the, like, that's, that's yeah. problematic. But I think in this specific instance, to me, it felt like, well, yeah, like, there's... um, Sexual relationships are... There is a power dynamic there. Right. And while we don't see anything explicitly sexual happening between the two of them there is definitely a power play happening there and they both hate women and so it's like well of course something about it just seems like yeah of course these two like would be more interested in each other than like anyone else yeah that makes sense yeah because even like i kept really like waiting anxiously for them to like sexualize harley um in some way because they have so many opportunities to where she's like super drunk or when she's like alone um and everything and like it doesn't really happen um and they definitely treat like when he peels the man's face off versus like when he's like gonna hurt harley like it's different um but it doesn't feel different in a sexual way it feels different in like a misogynist way um like it doesn't really seem to feel yeah, like, it's not motivated by him wanting to have sexual power over her. It's just him wanting to have, like, general power over her. Um, and I think it's it's helping me, like, reframe some of the scenes in the movie to think about it in terms of, like, misogyny as the villain versus, like, masculinity as the villain, which is what I originally read it as, <laughs> like, the first re- uh, on the first watch. Um, especially in the scene where, like, all of Sionis's men show up, I'm, like... And then that's when all the, the women are like, oh, we got to work together. Um, and I'm like, this feels like boys versus girls, but <laughs> like not like but more complicated than that. Yeah. And I think because like they're not necessarily against the masculinity. They're like misogyny is the villain. Misogyny is like the the force that comes to the booby trap actually named um, <laughs> that, <laughs> that they have to fight up against. Um, and I think that like thinking about that, obviously. Thinking about that in a world or in like a universe or film where like romance is kind of absent, I think like it makes a lot of sense to draw that connection between like misogyny and like not being attracted to women, even though like in our lives, that's obviously not true. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's very interesting. Um, I What you said about them not sexualizing Harley, I saw a post this was a while ago and I tried to find it um for the purposes of this conversation and could not I think it was like a tumblr thread that someone had like screenshotted and put on pinterest like I really went down some (laughs) rabbit holes trying to find it um but they were talking about they were doing a compare and contrast between the way that Harley is dressed and filmed in Suicide Squad Mm -hmm. versus in this movie um and i know that you have not seen suicide squad but i would suspect that you've probably seen um the outfit that she wears in that movie she's like 
sort of tied up, uh, cut up baseball tee that says daddy's little monster and she's in Mm -hmm. very tiny shorts and she's got pigtails that are like long um i think she's wearing like high-heeled boots or something Mm -hmm. and on paper the outfit that she wears in suicide squad that i just described is not that different from the outfits that she wears in birds of prey she's often wearing like very short shorts and like um some kind of not tube top, but like lots of midriff bearing yeah. kind of. Um, and yet it comes across completely differently. Mm-hmm. And what this post that I saw was talking about is how um, in the way that she's portrayed in Suicide Squad, she looks like she was dressed by a man to look sexy. Mm-hmm. And in Birds of Prey, she looks like she dressed herself to have fun. Mm-hmm. And there's a, we talk, you know, about the joy of this movie, and I think you really see that in Harley's costuming. I mean, all of the fashion in this movie is like, ugh. So good. Um, the best. But, like, Harley wears some bizarre, wonderful mm-hmm. outfits. I want the whole wardrobe. Like, yeah. that costume, costume tape jacket with all, like, the... I've talked about it already, but I'm yeah. just... I'm in love. If anyone yeah. can find it for me. Um, I'm definitely going to look for, um, she wears that like oversized t-shirt that says like Harley Quinn on it. And yeah. like, I'm sure <laughs> someone is in, like making that. Yeah. Um, and she has pigtails in both movies, but in this movie you see her at the beginning, cut her hair because she's going through a breakup. And I was like, yes, so mm-hmm. relatable. Yes. Your life changes and you need to cut your hair. I know it well. Um, also part of the queerness of the movie is yeah. the hair change. Yes. <laughs> um and then she gets a dog slash the dog is a hyena she gets a hyena who she's then obsessed with um and i really love the detail she names him bruce after Mm -hmm. bruce wayne yeah she says that hunky wayne fella (laughs) and she's wearing a dog name tag in the movie but it's like it says bruce on it and there was Mm -hmm. something about it that i loved a lot because she has so many like She's got tattoos on her legs for the Joker, which she then like crosses out. She like turns pudding into like pudding cups. Yeah. Like, she does this whole thing to sort of like reclaim her identity as a solo person. But the idea that she like she's wearing a dog necklace, but it's not like property of the Joker, which is like a jacket that she wears in Suicide Squad says that on the back. Mm-hmm. It's literally her dog's name because she's absolutely queer and like obsessed with her dog like she went through a breakup and her dog is her new buddy yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah (laughs) i actually didn't know that it said bruce yeah (laughs) but yeah so like i didn't see suicide squad but all of the all of like the media and the pictures and like the visuals of harley quinn that i've ever really seen um are just like really really over sexualized t-shirts at hot topic like (laughs) And I was never, it took me a long time to really even be interested in her as a character because she just felt like a, like in like the limited representations that I saw, I was like, oh, some some man like drew this girl with boobs and like wanted to act like Stockholm Syndrome is like a thing that, I don't know, like it, it just, I was like, okay, so she's supposed to represent Stockholm Syndrome and she has huge boobs and she's really skinny, not interesting. Um, yeah. But as I, like, learn more about her, as I learned more about her, um, I, like, obviously have a different reaction. Also, seeing her, like, personified by an actress, like, a live-action actress is very different. 
Um, but I think that the cinematography in this movie is really important um, because it would have been pretty easy with like some minor changes to just keep that to make it like a sexy Harley Quinn movie. Um, I do think the movie is sexy, but like not in an objectifying women kind of yeah. way in like a they're all going to beat everybody up for me yeah. kind of way. <laughs> they're like objectively attractive people like mm-hmm. um, being, being effective. Yeah. Being highly competent. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so we really liked this movie. Um, we did. A lot of people, um, particularly a lot of men, men. <laughs> <laughs> did not shocker especially on the internet internet men are the worst kind oh, of man <laughs> um and uh, i have a petty thing but like i've been like really waiting for the opportunity to share this with you so <laughs> there's a moment in the movie where harley is like in roman's nightclub this is before he's trying to kill her and she's drunk and being loud and this guy tells her to like shut up and she's like what and he's like i said shut up you dumb bitch and she proceeds to jump on his legs and like break them mm-hmm. that's my cartoon violence that i love yes <laughs> um and he's like howling out in pain and she's like oh boo-hoo. and she says um i have a phd don't call me a dumb bitch motherfucker I'm and like, I, I have like, a master's degree and I'm still a dumb bitch. I'm sorry. <laughs> I was like, yes, Harley, you do have a PhD. But also sometimes we still do be <laughs> still dumb bitches. <laughs> um, and the reason that this is, this is relevant is um, I saw someone on the internet post something about like, it said, I think that people who liked Birds of Prey don't know what good cinema is, to which my <laughs> reaction was, I have a degree from the most preeminent film school in the world. Brad. What are your qualifications, <laughs> motherfucker? <laughs> I mean, fair. And then break his legs. <laughs> <laughs> or no, break the legs and then, and then say that you're lying. Yes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, I, men on the internet. Yeah, no, I think that that's very valid. I validate <laughs> that experience. Yeah, I was like, honestly, with that scene, I just, I love how she's like, oh, you think I'm a dumb bitch? I'm going to break your fucking legs. And then I have a PhD, like, just, it was like a fun scene. So I was like, I'm not going to be critical of this. I'm just going <laughs> to enjoy the, like, ridiculous, like, knee bend thing. Um, but yeah, I'm also like, if she didn't have a PhD, it still would be uncool yeah. to say that. Um, but I think that that scene specifically, like, really um, is important to Harley's, like, character development and, like, character backstory. Because you're, like, seeing her, like, emotionally deal with the breakup and, like, get drunk and, like, confess um, that she broke up with um, the Joker to Black Canary. Is that the same scene? Yes. Yes um time after, is it's different. later after she's like very drunk yeah um and she's like making like there's a lot of plot set up so to me i was like oh like this is a character setup that's like a plot line <laughs> um so that just so we know like she has a phd because i do feel like every time 
Harley Quinn is like introduced in a movie, you like have to get her like resume. <laughs> like I need to see her CV because like, and which I think is good because I think if you're just like, oh, here's this crazy woman, like that would suck. But to say like, oh, she like has these degrees and she had this great job, but she like also has these things going on and like this is how it's manifesting. Um, so I'm not mad about it, but yeah, I disagree. I don't even disagree. I <laughs> I do think that it's messed up that she was like, I have a PhD, therefore I'm not a dumb bitch, but I also love it. <laughs> Problematically. <laughs> but as somebody with not a PhD, but an advanced degree, um, you know, we can still be dumb bitches and it's fine. <laughs> it also... <laughs> So, okay. I would I could go on like a whole like rant about this. You can. Um <laughs> Uh but I think what I want to get at is I don't know that I I don't have anything new to say about like uh men complaining about things on the internet. Mm-hmm. Neither do they. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but it's like one of those things that it just feels incomplete to talk about this movie and not kind of situate it in that context yeah um particularly because like i would really like a birds of prey too mm-hmm. um particularly because the director has said that she wants to do she wants to do a story about harley quinn and poison ivy and i'm like yes mm-hmm. um maybe then we'll get our explicitly queer relationships yes they're just gonna be gay and have plants Mm -hmm. Mm. relatable content (laughs) (laughs) we're like "Mm." (laughs) over here being plant gays um we're all plant gays in quarantine (laughs) (laughs) very true um i feel like it's when we see like that reaction to the movie a it like i'm like can't i just be happy like can't i just like crave breakfast sandwiches and watch hot girls beat people up like shut up yeah <laughs> um but it also like when we think about how like most superhero movies are really marketed toward men um honestly probably even this one um like at least at the kind of like corporate ad level um when internet men are mad about a movie um that doesn't bode well for the franchise's future um yeah. And that's just, like, a reality of our, like, shitty, like, masculine capitalist system. Um, so I feel like that's why, like, I, why that has to be a part of the conversation. If that wasn't true, like, if their opinions had no bearing on, like, my future, and I knew that I was going to get a Birds of Prey sequel regardless of their feelings, I would be like, let's not give them the time of day. But I do think that's, like, that's important to talk about. Yeah. Um this like they the budget for this movie was much lower than most superhero movies mm-hmm. um it was like 250 200 million or like 250 million which for like really almost any movie particularly like a comic book movie is like a is a pretty low budget mm-hmm. um feature film and um it based on the like last numbers that I saw um, when I was prepping for this episode did not break even. Mm. Um, 
I don't know if any of that has the, the numbers that I was looking at were all sort of around the time that the movie came out. Now it's been out for a year, so like I don't know if anything has changed on that, but like um and you know there are all kinds of reasons all kinds of factors that could go into that. We already talked about like the name change because people didn't know what the movie was about based on just calling it Birds of Prey. Mm-hmm. Um so like there's probably a factor of there are people who, you know, didn't know what it I don't know. There are lots of factors that go into mm-hmm. it. But it is hard to not think maybe the reason that this movie didn't do better is because it is a movie where there are basically the only men in this movie are is like the villain and his villainous sidekick basically Mm -hmm. like and then the two men who make food for harley yes i was like (laughs) that's all (laughs) how Um, does it feel (laughs) yeah yeah i also wonder like how much covid is like i i wonder how we're going to calculate movie success in Mm. covid times yeah um i was just talking about this with somebody with i forget which movie but obviously like people are not going to um the theaters hopefully um and some people like i paid 20 dollars to watch uh, promising young woman but i'm sure it's going to be free in like a couple months um or at least like through your subscriptions um but i'm wondering like what the adjustment is going to be like what we're going to measure as successful um, so I do think that that's part of it because this is a movie that I would have seen in theaters. I just like didn't because it came out like right at the shutdowns, right? Didn't it come out in March? Um, I don't know when exactly it came out. Um, but it was very close to that because it was the last movie that I saw in theaters, and I like I mean I don't go to very many movies in theaters anyway, but it um. There was not an option, really, to see a movie after that, basically. It came out February 7th. So I really should have seen it. I had a month. Um, <laughs> but it's a movie that I probably would have... I don't go to the movies very often. Yeah. Um, but it's a movie that I would have seen in person, um, probably in, like, April. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think the thing about it... The thing that I have really struggled with is, like, a lot of the the negative feedback that I saw about this movie online, a lot of it was very, um, like this movie was so bad. Like anyone who liked it doesn't know anything. Basically anyone who liked it, like can't have an articulate opinion. Anyone who liked it, like it's all, it's not the criticism. A lot of the criticism that I saw online was actually not about the movie and it was about people who liked the movie, Mm -hmm. which I'm willing to bet was mostly women who liked Mm -hmm. the movie since it was a movie that felt very relatable, as we've discussed, to a feminine experience. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I think like misogynists don't like it when misogyny (laughs) is the villain. (laughs) And like we talked about, too, like there's so there are so many important moments that make the movie very good. Um that you probably wouldn't get if you like didn't have a nuanced understanding of like gender dynamics yeah and like i think about other superhero movies and a lot of people did not like the aquaman movie um unforgivable jason (laughs) momoa is 
so hot i took yes. my mom to see that movie for her birthday because she likes him and she calls him jason mimosa <laughs> i watched it on a plane i found it quite enjoyable um i mean was anything revolutionary happening in that movie no but that's not why i watch comic no. book movies anyway it was really pretty yeah um at any rate when i've heard people complain about that movie i have never heard anyone say anyone who liked aquaman <laughs> doesn't have any taste right like they just say that they didn't like aquaman and maybe like why they didn't like it mm -hmm. um I'm sure there's someone on the internet who's saying anyone who liked Aquaman <laughs> didn't have any taste, but but that's not the majority. Yeah, yeah. It's just a different kind of criticism, and it's so frustrating mm -hmm. because I guess it's frustrating for the reason that misogyny is often frustrating in real life when it is not actually life-threatening that you can't actually argue with it because if the criticism that someone is making is I couldn't possibly understand why anyone would like this movie I can't tell you like to say that someone who likes this movie doesn't know what they're talking about means that when I tell you why I like this movie you've already established that you don't believe me mm -hmm. and that my opinion doesn't matter yeah and it's so frustrating to like you can't engage with that so there's not mm -hmm. it it feels very like well there's not anything that I could do and I mean not that I'm out here trying to like change deal people. with incels <laughs> on the internet yeah don't recommend no um but it just feels very like how do we ever like this is why we can't have nice things mm -hmm. yeah yeah and it feels like the like a decision was made you know of like oh this movie was bad and everyone who likes it is bad and they aren't us this is part of why i just don't get into superhero fandom because i'm like i'm not equipped for this <laughs> i don't know all the details i haven't read everything i haven't seen every movie um and there's a lot of like at least from what i've seen i see, I see a lot of like oh well i have this opinion if you feel something differently it's wrong um which i guess is maybe true in like every arena of life um but yeah, whenever something like this happens, I'm like, you think that you own this franchise and like other people can't access it. And if we do like it and it's not what you want, then it's not good. And it's not part of like this superhero machine. I think a very similar thing happens with horror movies as well. Like Promising Young Woman horror film, it's not going to do very well in in terms of like regular horror audiences because horror films just like um superhero films are typically marketed toward men um and i'm like it's such a good movie and it's so scary and <laughs> it's so like horror filled but like you're it's it has a lot of the same like expectations of like you need to have like an understanding of like gender and sexuality and if you don't have that um you're not gonna like it but i think i just wish that they could market movies towards us and then be happy when we liked it and then make more yeah but we don't have that no now i'm sad <laughs> i'm sitting here feeling like what is the solution and i have to remind myself like actually i don't have to solve all the world's problems um and probably i do so <laughs> I'll, I'll get on that <laughs> <laughs> probably even if we came up with a really great solution 
it, we don't know what we're talking about because we liked the movie. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. We're dumb bitches without PhDs. Yeah, I'm a dumb bitch with a master's degree um, who likes birds of prey and doesn't like incels. I'll say it. <laughs> it's very just, controversial. I know. <laughs> I know. Okay. Um, what would you recommend to fans of birds of prey so i was trying to think of like a like visual media because it's visual media but i just like didn't come up with anything except for anything roller derby i feel like is gonna um is gonna give you this feeling um but there are two music recommendations i have the first one is donna missile um if you haven't heard of her you simply must specifically her live recordings she's very like um her voice is I mean, she's just such a powerful singer um, and she has a lot of kind of like gravelly breakup songs um, or like gravelly like identity songs that I think play really well into this theme. They wouldn't necessarily fit on the soundtrack, but if you like these kinds of aesthetics, I think that you would like Donna Missile. Um, and this is also a very basic recommendation, but I just like thought about it last night is Miley Cyrus's new album, Plastic Hearts. Um, she like also is like she kind of screams a little bit. It's a little. It's her most rock album. Okay. I think that I know of so far. I'm not like a Miley head, but I do love this album. Um, I haven't listened, so oh, it's I'll very check good. it out now. Yeah, and I'm not like I don't hate Miley Cyrus, but I'm I wouldn't consider myself a stan normally. Um, but this album is so good. Um, and she has a cover of Zombie by the Cranberries, which like I usually get personally offended when anybody at all covers <laughs> uh, the Cranberries. Um. But she does such a good job and her it's just so like um powerful and I'm trying to think of a better adjective. You just simply have to listen to it. But I think that that same kind of like feminine intensity um also comes across in those musicians. Love those recommendations. That made me think um Bikini Kill is probably mm-hmm. like if you were into the aesthetic of this film, um, you'd probably be into Bikini Kill. Yeah. Also, as mentioned, like you have to listen to the soundtrack for this. Um there is a Harley Quinn animated series um, that originally aired on DC Universe, which now has been absorbed into HBO Max, um, which I just started watching. I did not like the first episode, but watched episodes after it and enjoyed those. They like really made me laugh. Um, it's an adult animated show. So if you like Harley Quinn, would encourage you to watch that. And if you don't like the first episode, it's okay. Try like the second or third one mm-hmm. um for there's also a ton of harley content so like i'm sure i have not read a lot of it but there are other harley comic books so if you're into harley quinn those definitely exist in the world um but something a comic that is really fun that i would recommend it is no it is not violent or gruesome in the way that birds of prey is but um rainbow rowell's run of marvel's runaways mm the show the or uh the comic book was originally created by brian k vaughn and like he did the first run but more recently it's been written by rainbow rowell who i'm obsessed with and those are just really fun and i think has a similar like playfulness to it Mm -hmm. and the new miss marvel comics also from marvel um again have a fun and they're it's an interesting new perspective so i would recommend those things awesome yeah 
Well, thank you for having me, Chelsea. Thank you for, yeah. This show is produced by me, Chelsea Bergen. The music is I Dunno by Grapes, licensed under a Creative Commons by license. You can find the show on Instagram at Casually Obsessed Podcast and the show notes for this episode at casuallyobsessedpodcast.com.